Welcome to Keyword on the Street podcast, presenting the latest developments in the world of SEO and digital marketing. Keyword on the Street is brought to you by Lance Montana, a digital marketing agency based in Brisbane, Australia. Hello and welcome to Keyword on the Street. I'm here with Lawrence today and our tech expert, Pav, to talk about all things technical SEO. Uh, And in the wake of the massive Google update that happened about a month ago, technical SEO is as important as ever. So let's jump in. Yeah, even more important than ever, I would would argue. Um, Mm. Great to be here, Grace. Hello. Hi, Pav. Um, Yeah, so... um, Essentially, you know, we've decided to do this third episode of Keyword on the Street about technical SEO, but bring it to the people and let you know what you can do from a technical standpoint to improve your website's rank in Google. Because as the Google algorithm has got more and more intelligent and updates roll out with faster and faster frequency, uh, you know, the, the number, quality and amount of links you have is, is, is very important, but it's decreasing in importance compared to the quality of your website, the structure of your content, and how well you can serve that that content to crawlers and to people. So this is a hugely important topic within SEO. And uh, yeah, it's great to have Pav uh, here with us. He's just uh, flown up this morning from New South Wales, um, where he's uh, brought a little uh, Champions Cup with him from the State of Origin. Actually, you don't care about the State of Origin at all, do you, Pat? No, I just, I just go for the blues because you guys go for the blues. <laughs> I don't even know why I brought it up. It's, it's, it's terrible. We should just forget about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. So, um, Grace, you are heavily involved in um, SEO at Lance Montana, mm-hmm. both in terms of um, strategy, content development, actual content editing and on-page optimization of, of uh, websites, particularly WordPress, which is a specialty yes. of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody says technical SEO, what does that actually mean to you? Well, technical SEO would be sort of the portion of things that are definitely more technical that a, a web developer might have um, yeah. an answer for you if you have a question. I guess the the big technical SEO topics that uh, we want to cover today are things like crawling, rendering, um, indexation, whether your site is mobile friendly, uh, whether it's got structured data on it, uh, things like page speed, very important for Mm -hmm. technical SEO. Um, We've got a couple of other things there that we'll definitely talk about in this episode. Mm -hmm. Cool. Awesome. Um, Pav, does technical SEO even really matter? Yes, (laughs) Yes, one hundred percent. Okay, easy question. Yeah, true. Um, and I, look, I touched on it earlier, but yeah, essentially because Google is getting you know more intelligent, the algorithms that serve results in in search and to combat you know backlink spam and overly active kind of link building, um, you know Google is putting more importance on the quality of websites. Um, and it's also, I guess, just like in response to just the, the normal evolution of, of, of digital. You know, websites are more technical these days. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot more going on yeah. than, than they used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, let's, let's get stuck into a couple of like really important kind of foundation concepts for people to understand so that we can build upon that. Um, so, Pav, um, what is an and can I just point out that this is like got a beautiful resonance because we're sitting here recording this podcast from the Brisbane State Library, which is a massive index in itself, <laughs> yes. looking out over the uh, beautiful Brisbane River. But yeah, for the purposes of uh, SEO, Pat, what, what's an index? 
Uh, to explain it simply, um, it's basically like an index of a book. Uh, you go to the index uh, to look for what you're looking for and then that tells you exactly what's there. Just like what Google does, it goes through a website and indexes all the pages. So it knows what all the page URLs are. And then from that index, it generates the content for those pages, excerpts, um, and you know, depending on what schema you're using, it, you can uh, you can actually build um, rich link descriptions, like in uh, the Google searches. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I just asked what an index was. Let's not to <laughs> jump in a schema. You're gonna scare everybody off. <laughs> okay, cool. So you know, Google basically storing all all of its web pages yeah. that it uses to deliver search results from in the in the index. The Google index. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, what about crawl? I prefer to call them uh, spiders. Okay. Um, yeah. They've. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So ba- basically, what that is is um, they're just little. Just think of them as uh, little bugs that uh, crawl across the mm-hmm. uh, website and all its pages and just absorb all the information mm-hmm. and uh, take it back to Google and say, "Here it is." Okay, so like uh, Google, uh, automated software that's, that yeah. crawls um, uh, pages from the uh, internet yeah. and then brings them back and puts them in the index. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and um, some of the most important crawlers are the Google bots. So they're the Google-specific crawlers, right? Yes, that's right. But there's other types of creepy crawlers on the internet. There are. There are plenty of uh, different crawlers <laughs> and um, you have to be careful in that way because there's a lot of uh, spam crawlers as well. They end up, um, you know, indexing your website and putting them on, uh, you know, indexes on the internet which don't really have a very good rating or uh, in fact okay. um, are actually linked to spam themselves mm-hmm. so that in turn can actually affect your website's rankings. Yeah, and we've, yeah. we've kind of touched on this before, haven't we, Grace, with a, a previous um, Keyword on the Street episode where we talked about the kind of reputational side of, uh, of link building and making sure that you're uh, associating yourself with the nicest uh, yeah. parts of the neighbourhood <laughs> yes. uh, you know, on the exactly. internet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, awesome. All right. Um, so what about um, getting stuck into some actual technical SEO best practices? Um, uh, one of the first points we've got here that um, is uh, something that, you know, is, is, should be on everybody's checklist when you're launching a new website is to use robot text, robots text to tell Google which pages of your website shouldn't be crawled. Uh, this might be counterintuitive for some people because they're thinking, okay, should we get all of our pages into this Google index and make sure it's all readable, get as much content on there as possible? So why would we um, do that path? Yeah, definitely right. Everyone's in the mindset where they just want to put everything out there on the internet, but then they always forget that they've got login pages, admin pages, um, pages which allow them to actually change the actual content and look of the website. Uh, okay. So yeah. robots.txt is basically a file where you just put in the link of the actual page you don't want Google to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, it, the pro- but, but the problem with uh, robots.txt is that it's just a guide. It's not something that will stop an actual indexing. Oh, that's, to, a, that's a really good point. Okay. To actually... Um, Stop it from indexing. Um, that's and that's where when I previously mentioned um, 
you know, you've got other indexing platforms on the internet which send bots to your website and they start crawling it, they will usually ignore the robots.txt file and end up indexing your login pages, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just opens your website up to more attacks. So robots.txt is meant to be there as a guide mm-hmm. and any reputable platform which actually crawls your website will follow whatever's in the robots.txt. Right, okay. Right, okay. So, you know, so the big crawlers like Baidu and, you know, like SEO, massive SEO software crawlers like Alexa and, of yeah. course, the Google bots, you'd, you'd expect them to kind of follow yes. your polite robots.txt instructions. That's correct. But other less reputable, uh, uh, you know, kind of crawlers with, um, you know, malintentions, yeah. you know, may not. That's so correct, it's, it's yeah. entirely up to the, um, the discrimination of the crawler itself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about if um, I really, really, really didn't want a page to be indexed by any crawler? Yeah. H- how would I do that? You usually put it behind. The, the best way to do that would be to uh, put it behind a login wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that it's only accessible to people who have access to it. But then, you know, it really depends if, if, if it's a really, if it's really sensitive information you might even want to lock it down to your own system or, you know, IP address or something along those lines, um, which just don't allow anything on the internet to actually see it. But then again, you know, the hackers are always one step ahead of us. (laughs) Um, And I guess um, we can use a a meta no-index tag as well for specific content. Uh, Yes, we can. Um, However, that is once again just a guide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Now, what about creating and editing robots, uh, robot text files. Um, you know, how do people do it, for instance, in a WordPress site? Is it something that happens automatically? It doesn't happen automatically. Uh, there are many plugins you can use, especially for WordPress, which um, allow you to just uh, create a robots.txt file mm-hmm. and you can just directly um, enter in there, you know, any pages you don't want mm-hmm. um, indexed. The um, number one plugin that we've used in the past and we've mentioned before, and we're huge fans of, is uh, Yoast for WordPress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, it has a lot of functionality, and that's one of its features. Yeah, yeah. and the, the other way to do it, obviously, is just to create a simple, plain text file. If you happen to have um, access to the file system for your website, you can just create a simple text file, name it robots.txt, and just put in your URLs that you don't want indexed, mm-hmm. and just upload them straight away. So... You don't technically need a plugin, but it just makes it easier for anyone who doesn't actually have the technical know-how to access the file system. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, one of the biggest competitors to Yoast is um, All-in-One SEO, All-in-One SEO Pack plugin. Yeah. Uh, we've used that on the odd occasion, but we're pretty much just down the line uh, fervent, diehard Yoast fans. But also the All-in-One SEO Pack for WordPress is very good. If you're using that, you can use that to create a robots text file as well. I like all in one SEO. Yeah, you would. <laughs> you would. <laughs> Trust the New South Welshman. Okay, awesome. Grace, what have we got next on that on the introduction to technical SEO best practices there? Alrighty, so next, HTTPS versus HTTP. What are your thoughts, Pav? HTTPS all the way. <laughs> It just uh, makes the connection that little bit more private. HTTP, if anyone's listening in on your connection, um, say if you're even on a uh, 
you know, on a, on a cafe Wi-Fi where it's not secured, mm-hmm. um, people can actually, whoever are logged into the same system, can actually look at your internet activity. Whereas yeah. with HTTPS, S standing for, you know, secure, mm-hmm. they can see what's going on, but they can't read it. So they can see data coming in and going, coming in and going out, mm-hmm. but they can't actually tell what's going on, like right. what the actual data is. So. so it puts up another wall. Yeah. Yeah. So it um, it's definitely something that is more preferred. So Google is actually putting a fair bit of weight on that, uh, especially, you know, in the coming coming few months is going to, I think, really, really ramp up. Yeah, as a ranking factor. As a ranking factor, Definitely. yeah. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll get left behind if you still have an HTTP site. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And, and this is something that is also uh, is, is being championed by the browsers, the main um, search browsers, yeah. So um, yeah. Uh, Mozilla and, and um, everyone's favourite Internet Explorer, <laughs> Chrome and Safari, you know, they, 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 they display uh, warnings, you know, to people that are that have got unsecured sites these yeah. days in, in many cases. So if you don't want people to be uh, consuming your website content um, with an ugly warning sign at the front of it, mm. then you need to make sure that you've got a, a security certificate installed against your domain. The good news is that these days that's, um, you know, can be free to do. You just yes. have to pay cold hard cash money, you know, and there's all, all kinds of different security certificates you could purchase and and that would cost upwards of, you know, up, up to the kind of, you know, $500 mark. Some even more. Yeah, and, um, but these days, um, you know, a lot of uh, web hosts will provide them for free as part of your hosting package. The takeaway here is that there's, there's no excuse now not to have um, yeah. HTTPS protocol uh, implemented for your website. Okay, you're going to get hurt by uh, by poor engagement. People are going to be worried uh, about why it's unsecure, and it's free to do. So just get on it, do mm. it. Yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes having those little warnings come up on your website uh, would be enough to turn some users away. So oh yeah, um, and along that line as well, another thing that can turn users away is when your site takes longer than a few seconds to load. So site speed. Let's talk about that one. Yeah. Site speed is a big one. A lot of the time it just comes from large images on the website. Yeah. That's, uh, and um, yeah, we just need to make sure that the, the website actually has uh, you know, images that have been scaled down for internet viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. This is super important. Grace yeah. and I have talked about this in a previous episode of uh, image optimization. Uh, for SEO, yes. I think that was a quick bite yeah, episode, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, we're, we're including it as part of technical SEO because site speed is a, is a, is actually a huge formula with a whole lot of different inputs. You know, uh, determining how fast your website is. But Pav, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like in terms of technical SEO for non-technical people, image optimization, just reducing your file size over your images is the quickest and easiest thing that you can do and it's probably going to have one of the biggest effects on your yeah. overall site speed as well. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the tools that we talked about people can use to do that? Yeah, bulk resize photos mm. is a great one. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, you can also use the Adobe programs like Photoshop and Lightroom to um, reduce image sizes in bulk. Um, mm. Otherwise, if you've got a WordPress site, you can uh, reduce image sizes in WordPress, but you usually have to do it one at a time, so it's just a little bit slower. Nobody wants to be a little bit slower no, in exactly. this day and age, So, okay, so that's a great one, Pav. What do what you two use to like test an actual website's speed? 
Well, the first thing I do is just log onto the website and see how long it takes. Yep. Uh, if I get bored, then it's too slow. <laughs> so, um, and that's that's presupposing that you've got an excellent internet connection. Yeah, that, that is <laughs> true. And we all live in Australia, so that might not <laughs> be the case. Yeah. You're not reliable. Uh, true, true. The um, the other things I do, I just uh, go on to uh, some uh, speed testers, website speed testers mm-hmm. on online. So, yep. for example, uh, there's uh, GT Metrics, mm-hmm. uh, which you know tests your website, gives you a full rundown, gives you a uh, little graph. Pretty waterfall chart. Yeah, yeah. A little graph which um, shows you what loads or when it loads, how long it took to mm-hmm. load, mm-hmm. Um, which you know can give you a bunch of information that you can adjust your website. For sure. Um, which helps. And there's another tool as well, which I actually use more often, which is Pingdom. Mm-hmm. Tools.pingdom.com. It's my favorite. Tools.pingdom.com, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that does basically the same thing as GT Metrics, but it has an advantage for us uh, Aussies mm-hmm. here because um, they've got servers based in Melbourne. Yeah, you can switch the server yeah. between, actually I'll open up here, Melbourne, I think New a, York, yeah. San Jose, and Stockholm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Pingdom's a way to go if, you're, if your website is mainly focused at um, the Australian consumers. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then other than that, there are others, which I don't use as often, but I should. For example, Google Page Speed Insights. Mm. This is kind of a controversial one for me it personally. Is. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm not a big fan of it, mm. which uh, is unusual because we're kind of like Google fanboys and girls, um, and we we have to be because we're we're you know, operating a business within the Google ecosystem essentially here. Yeah. But I'm just surprised by how wrong the Google Page uh, Speed Load Test is. Yeah, see often, how often it is wrong. Yeah, yeah we can, it, it can be arguable. It, it, is it wrong or is it just picking up on no, something? No, it's that's definitely, well, that's the thing. It's definitely else. wrong because, you know, I'll test it in parallel with Pingdom and GT Metrics and, you know, a visual manual test of actually, you know, loading up the website content in various browsers on my yeah. computer. And I can see that there's an outlier in the, in the test results. Yeah. I'm doing them all at roughly the same time, you know, and... and and it's the Google PageLoad speed test, which is which is usually the one that's further away, furthest away from the other three. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not just the um, actual page speeds that it has um, issues with them. I, I don't actually know whether it's testing for something that the others aren't testing for. Mm. But it's not just the page speed; it's the actual other things it picks up as the well. Recommendations the recommendations, recommendations compared to um, and, and GT Metrics. Yeah, yeah. so it, it almost um, seems like that. There is an extra, like a, a factor criteria mm. that it is using that um, the others are not aware of. Well, that's that's what it looks mm. like anyway. But then it struggles to actually implement that extra layer correctly. Yeah, in, yeah. A, in a lot of cases. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. So so far we've talked about using robot text um, to tell Google which pages um, shouldn't be crawled. We've talked about the importance of using a secure protocol, HTTPS, and go out and get yourself a, uh, a free security certificate um, and install against the domain for the website. And we've talked a little bit about site speed, although we should maybe, is you know, we should talk probably a little bit more about site speed. So we've talked about how to test mm-hmm. for it and, uh, you know, one of the major things you can do, which is optimise your images. What other things can and should people be doing to improve their site speed? Keeping in mind that obviously some of these things are going to be for a web developer 
and, yeah. you know, and, and are there other things that non-technical um, agents yeah. can do? Definitely. Um, so the the next biggest one, or it's actually arguable if it's the biggest or not, would be caching. So server side and um, browser side. Yeah, it's a huge, huge area. Yeah. Can you just explain in really brief layperson terms what caching is? Caching is, how can I put this in simple terms? Because most people okay. can't even say, like, don't, don't even pronounce it correctly. That's just my, my personal opinion. Caching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's um, in, in terms of uh, websites, it's basically, say, okay, it's going to be a bad analogy, but it might work. <laughs> uh, think of a jigsaw puzzle, and you've got all the separate pieces yep. that came together to make that image. Um, so caching is basically taking that and getting rid of all of the connections and just making it one large image and um, serving that to you. So you don't have the individual pieces, you just have the end result. Yeah, okay. All right, that was that was a really interesting visual <laughs> yeah, demonstration. Great. I didn't know where you were going with the jigsaw puzzle. Okay, I'm, I'm just like Googled it so, so we can give like a, a really kind of um, – uh, stock standard yeah. uh, definition as well, but essentially it's a different um, area of memory, right? So you might it's like storing things in memory that's more easily accessible. So front loading it, so um, it's available there, but it's not in real time. So people are accessing, you know, cached memory. So this might not be the most up to date version of your website, but it's one that is very easily accessible. Yeah. So it's. Um We'll have to use memory lightly there because it actually is just um, on on your drive space, your disk space. It's just the end result of what the system had to go through to generate that page. Mm-hmm. So it's it's usually just a plain HTML file, um, which is uh, not dynamic. So it's, it's a static page, mm-hmm. and um, that's what displays to you. So the server has to do the least amount yep. of work mm-hmm. to present information to you. Yep. So, as I mentioned before, there's two types of caching. So, there's the browser side and the server side. The browser side, what it does is when you actually go to a website, it downloads all of that content and stores it on your computer. Mm-hmm. So, when you go back to the website, it will actually access what data there is on your computer rather than mm-hmm. pulling it again from the server, mm-hmm. which makes it a lot quicker. Yeah. Because can, you know, it's also putting less load on the actual website exactly. uh, and the website service. Yeah, because of that, it becomes quicker. Um, and then each of those items, images, um, you know, the assets, the, the actual pages, they have a time limit on it set by the web developer. And every, say they've got a time limit of 10 days, every 10 days if you access the website again, it'll download fresh content. So that you're always up to date as well. So your uh, the website is is the web developer is telling the website to tell the browser to cache its content on a certain uh, frequency of time. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, but if somebody was um, a content editor was to go into that website and upload a new page, would that go into the cache? Uh, no, the. Adding new pages is fine. Adding mm-hmm. new content is fine. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of the caching happens for assets on the website, so images, uh, okay. yep. um, the style sheets, the JavaScripts, all the all the things that make the UX experience, like the user experience, mm-hmm. better. Yep. Content, on the other hand, uh, will rarely get um, cached on the browser side. Mm-hmm. Content gets cached on the server side. 
Mm-hmm. So things like um, you know, WordPress comes with a lot of uh, caching plugins. Mm-hmm. So, for example, WP Super Cache, there's um, W3 Total Cache, yeah, like W3, yeah. Cache, yeah. And what they do is go through your website and generate a snapshot of each of the pages and store them. So that way, when someone requests the page, it just gives them that one static page that's already been generated rather than generating it on the spot, mm-hmm. which makes the way that it actually presents it to you much quicker because mm-hmm. a server doesn't actually have to do much work at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when a content uploader goes in and changes one of the pages, updates a page or adds a new one, mm-hmm. it updates that particular cache um, cached page mm-hmm. in the system. Yeah. So that way... So you can still use caching and not worry about the content that's getting served to website visitors being opt. Yes, that's yeah. correct, yeah. Okay. In a nutshell, what should people do to utilise the power of caching to improve their site speed? Would you recommend that uh, somebody... Let's, let's talk about a couple of different case scenarios. So somebody who doesn't have ongoing access to a web developer, so they might be a, a smaller business, they've got a good website and, you know, perhaps it's been maintained but they don't have, you know, a web developer or an agency on call. Is there something that they can do them, themselves without contacting an agency for assistance? If they're running a CMS such as WordPress, um, there are... Uh, plugins, mm-hmm. as mentioned before, um, that you can use for server-side and mm-hmm. browser-side caching. Yep. So if you want to do server-side caching, you want to cache all of your content so that the server can um, give them to the user a lot quicker, you can use things like WP Super Cache. Mm-hmm. And um, it's simple enough. There, It is a little bit technical, mm-hmm. you, but you, when you go into it, most of the things are self-explanatory. It does just ask you... Questions such as, you know, how long do you want each page to be cached for before it checks for a new version? And it can go through and, you know, just things like that. There's, there's another one, um, there's another option in there where it actually super caches the pages. So it doesn't just cache the pages that people have tried to access. It goes through the whole system and it caches every single page. Mm-hmm. So in that case, at the beginning, it does take up a fair bit of load on the server mm-hmm. because it's trying to cache all the pages. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what that means is that the first time anyone actually accesses a page, it's already there to present to them. Gotcha. Yeah. So once this is implemented, how much will it affect site speed? Well, I have seen uh, caching a website both, if, if you cache a website both browser and um, server side, mm. I've seen speed increases of up to 80 to 90%. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, mm. so it's definitely worthwhile. 100%. Yeah. Okay, it's pretty much an integral part of, you know, superior website management. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think there's any uh, high-performing websites out there that don't utilise caching of some kind. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Image optimization and utilizing the vast powers of caching to improve your site speed. Anything else that you think uh, the non-technical uh, you know, audience we've got out there should be doing to assist with their site speed? Uh, look, a lot does also depend on the type of server your website is sitting on. Mm-hmm. So if you go with a, a cheaper shared server, obviously it's going to be a little bit slower. Whereas if you go with a, um, a more powerful, dedicated server, it's going to be super quick. Yeah. So it also you know, you know, comes down to um, what you're willing to spend on your hosting as well. Mm-hmm. That can range massively in prices. Yeah. So it depends on how heavy content-wise your website is. 
uh, and that should determine what kind of server you put it on. Mm. So these these three, I think, things would be probably the major major factors in website speed. Yeah, cool. So super basic little one pager website, which has got some images and some text, and no, um, you know, uh, not calling any <coughs> membership database functions or anything like that. And doesn't have a huge amount of website traffic. Get away with the cheaper server host environment, yeah. right? Yeah. But if you're if you're running any kind of uh, significant um, website that's running, you know, functions where it's you know checking um, membership of certain systems and users having certain permissions, and it might have a heap of video that's stored locally on the on the database, then the um, the, the the power and the resources of the server become Massively important, important in determining yeah. the site speed, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, what's next after site speed, Grace? Uh, site speed. So we've touched on security already. Uh, we've got a point here: cross-browser compatibility. I'm not like super familiar with this, so I'd love to school up on what this means. Well, you're in the right place, Grace. <laughs> yeah. Right place at the right time. Uh, this uh, touches on my favourite browser, Internet Explorer Six. <laughs> Everyone's favourite. <laughs> Cross-browser compatibility. Now, this um, is where the web developers start ripping their hair out. So, something that works on one browser does not necessarily work on another browser. Mm. So, when you put that into perspective, there are hundreds and hundreds of browsers. Because mm. there's major browser platforms yes. like Internet Explorer and Mozilla and uh, Chrome but then there's heaps of versions of all of all of those yeah. major platforms, and then there's quite a lot of other uh, browsers that you probably never browser. heard of that get significant amount of users. Yeah, um, um, I have on my system. I've got uh, Firefox installed. I've got Chrome, and I've also got Opera, mm -hmm. um, which is another one that I'm actually testing, um, and and also Safari. Mm -hmm. A lot of the browsers, um, it's easier to test for, for example, Safari and Chrome because they use the same engine. They use WebKit. Um, so if something works in Chrome, it usually works in Safari. Usually. usually. Definitely come across cases <laughs> where, where, where they don't for some reason. Um, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's uh, important to actually test it, especially the first thing you want to do when you build a website is have a look at your user database or user base and see what percentage of the users are using what browser because mm. you want to really build a website properly for those browsers mm. and then you want to have graceful degradation for the rest of the browsers. So graceful degradation meaning um, if something doesn't work, then how can we present it in a different way? Maybe take the UX away a little bit but still have it function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if some element of the website is not going to render properly in an in a, in a older version of a, of a specific browser, you don't want the whole website experience to be totally thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. You want people still to be able to consume that content and not think that there's something majorly wrong going on. That's, yeah. that's the idea of graceful degradation. Yeah, yeah so there's, there's two ideas. It's graceful degradation and progress, progressive enhancement. So graceful degradation works on the fact that you build it for the most popular browsers and then you degrade the, um, the user experience across the other browsers that can't handle it. Yeah. Progressive enhancement is you build it as simple as possible and then enhance the user experience for 
the more, most popular browsers. Mm-hmm. So there's two ways you can go about it's it. It's almost like a mobile-first development strategy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, a, that's another, another yeah. podcast, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think the basic secret source to cross-browser compatibility is just to tell people that if they're not using the most uh, recent version of a browser, <laughs> they can just go on, onto somebody else's website. Yeah. But that actually is uh, obviously impossible, and it's crazy how many people are using, you know, five eight-year-old browsers, so mm-hmm. it is an important part of web development. Yeah. Um, and um, rather than have every single version of every single browser installed on your operating system uh, or on your computer. device. <laughs> yeah, and all the different devices. Um, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you're serious about making sure that your website works on different browsers, you should use a tool like BrowserStack is the one that we use. It's um, pro- probably the market leader, the biggest one out there, and and there's all kinds of different, um, you know, you don't have to spend too much money to get the entry-level um, functionality, which will allow you to view static um, kind of image image snapshots of how your uh, page content is going to look yeah. in all the different browsers. If you want like, interactive ability through all the different um, browsers, you're going to have to pay a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so it just depends on uh, probably how big your website um, uh, visitor audience base is as to uh, how much money you want to spend on this. And you can use Google Analytics to um, just have a, have a look at how many website visitors yeah. you're, you're getting and, and, um, and check out uh, which, uh, which browsers and operating system combinations they're using to uh, access your site content. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's the way to go. There you go. Grace, look, you, you learned yeah, something. Cross-browser compatibility. Something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last uh, technical SEO tip we want to impart today is to use structured data to drive rich results in your SERPs. Okay, so breaking that down, rich results is all of the kind of interesting little bits and pieces that give you more information than just your standard organic listings in search engine results pages. So an example of that, um, Pab, you were talking about earlier, uh, was for the Brisbane Powerhouse. Yeah, so um, um, especially things like events, mm-hmm. uh, what you can do is uh, use a certain schema which um, actually tells Google or any other um, index indexing uh, platform what kind of thing it is so like an event or um, a product or something like that and what you can do is actually um, it, it actually does get pretty technical there's like uh, coding and scripting you need to do for XML uh, which actually tell the indexing platform what, what the what's the word is. The, what the, the content, type of content what the, it's a label isn't yeah, it it's, yeah. a, it's a type of yeah. content and what its attributes are yeah. So for so an it's event, metadata. It's, yeah, it's, it's metadata. It it's telling telling Google this kind of content is this this kind of content. Yes, yeah. and what you can essentially do with that kind of content is say, for example, you've got an event coming up. Uh, you can set a title. You can set a, the dates and times. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can set up um, you know if someone's playing at this um, event, and what happens is when someone searches for this particular event. Or in, in Google, for example. Or even just, you know, events near me. Yeah, yeah. Like that. even that. Um, what will happen is it'll actually, instead of going to your website, it will just bring up a listing of this event that you guys are hosting and it'll actually tell you what the dates and times for it are. Yeah, so it'll show you rich results. Rich results, in yeah. Google. yeah. That's, that's exactly right. So and people love uh, to click on these rich results. It really stands out. It look, it, you know, it's, it's kind of holy grail, really, in the, in the SERPs. 
Yeah. yeah, and it usually comes up at the top of the Google results as well, so it's yeah, a really quick right. way of getting to the top mm. of your, the ranking page, mm. yeah. Now, uh, as, as Pav um, mentioned, you know, doing it manually is super technical, but you can use tools like the Data Highlighter and the Markup Helper, which we'll put uh, links to in the show notes, mm -hmm. yep. um, to add structured uh, data to mm -hmm. your content, and you can test it with the Google Structured Data testing tool. Yeah, and if you're on a WordPress site, there's a bunch of plugins as well that'll just give you fields to add in this data really simply and easily, so we'll put a couple of links to those plugins in the show notes as well. Sounds great. Alrighty, so that wraps up our podcast today on the technical aspects of SEO. Um, if you like today's podcast, we'd love it if you could give us a rating on iTunes and hit us up with any topics that you'd like us to cover in future podcasts. Thanks, Lawrence and Pav. Thanks, Grace. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Keyword on the Street podcast. This has been a production of Lance Montana, a digital marketing agency based in Brisbane, Australia. For more great free resources, go to lancemontana.com.au.